Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Real As Feedback. Each week, we have unfiltered conversations about performance feedback in the workplace and share real stories that give you practical tips on how to prevent bias, prejudice, and bullying from masquerading as feedback. I am Kieran Snyder, and I'm here today with Kim Scott. Jackie Clayton is out this week. Hi, Kim. Welcome back from vacation. You look very rested. Thank you. I feel very rested. I had a great time. Awesome. Well, we're really excited uh, about our guest today, Cody Horton. Cody is an accomplished diversity recruiting leader, author, speaker, coach. Uh, He served as the founder and managing director of Diverse Recruiting Experts, which was acquired in 2022. Prior to embarking on his entrepreneurial journey, Cody served 20 plus years in a variety of diverse leadership roles in the U.S. Navy, as well as companies like Walmart, Microsoft, and Dell. During his tenure as head of talent acquisition and diversity recruiting, he has been instrumental in attracting and hiring exceptional people to build diverse and inclusive workforces. Cody, welcome to the show. Great. Thank you. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. And thank you for your service. Absolutely. Thank you for your service. Well, before we dive into Cody's feedback story, I just wanted to say congratulations on a new book. So Cody just published The Diversity Recruiting Blueprint, Your Guide to Crafting an Impactful Inclusion Hiring Strategy. So Cody, tell us a little bit about the book. What led you to write it? Yeah, this book had, is, a, is a labor of love. Uh, what drove me to write this book is the fact that I've been doing this work for a long time, specifically on diversity and inclusion from a talent acquisition perspective. And all that information that was in my head, I finally was able to get it down on paper, paper so I could share it with other people who are trying to do the things that a lot of the companies I've worked for have tried to do for many, many years. And that was really the driver for me to be able to capture that information so that I could share it with other people. Who is it for? Is it for talent acquisition leaders? Is it for individual recruiters? Is it for business leaders? Who's going to benefit the most from your work? Yeah, the primary person that this is going to help is the talent acquisition leader or someone who's responsible for the diversity and inclusion recruiting strategy and effort, right? There are lots of books around sourcing. This touches on that, uh, but it's specifically for the person who is on the hook, so to speak, for for that strategy and how you build the strategy and operationalize the strategy. Well, can you give us a little taste of what the blueprint might include? Yeah, this is this book is focused on talent acquisition, right? There are lots of DEI related books that are out there but not many spend enough time on the strategy. So the person that reads this book could actually pick this up, walk through it, build a strategy, understand how do you prioritize what you need? Who do you get involved? How do you coach managers and recruiters and work with ERGs and all the internal groups that are trying to help you get your diversity and inclusion recruiting efforts underway, uh, not just from a strategic perspective, but how do you operationalize it and prioritize when times get tough and maybe you're not hiring. So what do you do, right? So this is going to be one of those books that's set up for people who've been doing this for a while, or if you're just getting started, I think this book would help everyone 
be able to build and operationalize that diversity recruiting strategy. I'm so interested in it. Jackie is not here today, but she, I think, has a kind of an unusual setup for the ecosystem because she leads talent acquisition and DEI at Textio, and she has a peer at the company who leads the HR function. So we do it a little bit differently than a lot of organizations. Cody, I'm curious how common that pattern is from what you've seen. Yeah, the pattern, it's all over the place right now. I was one of the early people that had both talent acquisition and diversity recruiting, but to have someone who's got oversight for both talent acquisition and diversity, it just makes a lot of sense. And in this book, people will see that, oh, wow, that makes sense. And now I can understand how these all these pieces kind of stitch together. Uh, and it, at the end of the day, it comes to about communication, right? It's all about how do you work together? How do you do that communication? But I, I am seeing lots of different models that people are trying, and I've been in different models as well. So some good, some not so great. Yeah. Well, if you're listening and you want to take action for your organization, if you know diversity and recruiting are tied for you and, and you have important goals, you can get a digital copy of the Diversity Recruiting Blueprint on Amazon right now for just 99 cents. So you should jump in and do it. And Cody, I really appreciate how affordable and accessible you've made this so so many people can benefit. Thank you very much. I wanted to get it in as many hands as possible. But it, and it truly is a labor of love to put that many years of experience uh, down onto paper. So thank you for writing it, really. I know it's going to help a lot of people. Thank you. Well, we have spent a little time now talking about inclusive recruiting, and it's time to turn to our focus today, which is to talk about inclusive performance feedback. So let's get real. Um, Cody, we love to ask our guests to share a story that they've experienced. So we'd love to hear you share any piece of feedback that was really impactful for you. It could be one that was problematic uh, in ways maybe the feedback giver didn't anticipate, or it could be something that was really positive for you and really impactful in a beneficial way. And we'd love to hear your story and chat about it a little bit. Yeah, I've had so much feedback given to me, and I've given a bunch of feedback over the years. Uh, the The story that I that comes to mind that I think was the most impactful for me came from one of my bosses earlier in my career, and her feedback. I call it the "nobody wants to get a beer with you" feedback. And the reason I say that is my background. I grew up. I came up. I was in the military for a while, and then I was in IT for a while, and we the the way people communicated was kind of to the point and very passionately and not a lot of kind of softness in the in the conversations and i brought that into corporate america when i left it in the military and got on the hr side of the house in the recruiting world and my boss said hey people don't want to get a beer with you after work i'm like what because in my social life, I was fun. I'm easy to go. I'm easy to get along with. As long as things are going well on the professional side, I'm easy. But when things would go sideways or someone really disagreed with me, I would dig in and get really aggressive and not listen to what they were saying and just be kind of the, be a jerk. I mean, there's no other way to, to say it. And my boss, who was it's the best feedback I've ever had in my life and it changed my career. 
is she said, you are too direct. Everybody can see it on your face. They can see it in your body language when you disagree with someone and nobody wants to give you feedback and they don't want to, they don't want to disagree with you because of how they know you're going to react. Uh, her, I think her exact words is, you argue with me more than my husband does. So it wasn't a, I was an equal, equal opportunity, argumentative kind of person. And when she gave me that direct feedback, she didn't sugarcoat it or anything. And she talked about the behaviors that I was exhibiting. And at first, like anybody who gets feedback and doesn't want it, I was resistant to it. And I kind of pushed back on it. And then after thinking about it a little bit, I'm like, wow, she's right. That makes a difference. Let me try to do this a different way and listen more. That was her point. Listen more and get rid of your agenda to manipulate the situation or coerce someone to do something, but just listen and work on solving the problem. And I mean, it was literally a, a game changer for me. And I, I implemented it into my, my leadership style. And for, for many years, more than I care to count on this call, is it gave me, gave me the ability to be a better coach and a better leader. And so when I, when I discovered Kim's book, uh, Radical Candor, I thought, wow, I wish I would have had this many years ago when I first started leading, leading people. Kim, what's your take? Yeah, I love this story because I think that very often when you go from one culture to another culture, I think in the military, there's this assumption that you care about each other, like, and, and there's an assumption that you're going to really challenge directly. And when you go from that kind of intense culture to one that demands more care personally, then often you are unfairly accused of obnoxious aggression in, in radical candor speak. And it sounds like that's what happened. And, and the reason why I love this story so much is that people often assume that you can't fix that problem. And you did fix that problem. And so I think it's really, uh, it's an inspirational story. Well, Cody, I'm wondering what your manager did to make it possible for you to hear the feedback. Because as you were telling your story, I was hearing some of the words you were using to illustrate it. I know from Textio's research that some of those words like direct, argumentative, passionate are much more often used to describe black people in the workplace when they're having conflicts with coworkers. And so I heard, yikes, there might be some coded stereotype going on here. And I'm curious, but you describe it as game-changing feedback. So help me make sense of that. Yeah, what made it work is because it, it, that's the because when I if I listen to myself describe that I was like oh someone's gonna say angry black man right um, what made it work is I had a lot of respect and a lot of trust for my boss she was a straight shooter she treated everyone the same and she was a big champion for inclusion and diversity and she supported me in doing that work. Right. She's the one that said, I need, want you to do this work. I knew her heart was in the right place because she was trying to help me and she was trying to make me aware of something I wasn't even aware of because I thought uh, because when I was in the military and when I was in IT, where there, we were just a bunch of guys. There were a few women in my IT groups, but not many where we would just do that kind of communication. And then, hey, let's go get a beer. OK, let's go get an adult beverage after work. 
And she said, it doesn't work like that in HR. And it doesn't work like that anywhere now that I've you know been around for a while, but I, it was trust. I had, I had trust and I knew her intentions were genuine and authentic. And that made a big difference uh, for me in the way I received the feedback. What are some of the changes you made in the weeks following or months or following that feedback in the immediate aftermath of receiving it? She gave me some advice. She says, when you're about to react to someone that says something that you think is ridiculous and stupid, tighten your stomach muscles. I had abs of steel, so I tightened my stomach muscles. <laughs> she goes, because if you've got your stomach muscles tightened, there's no way you're going to be be able to react. And so I did that. I probably did it for six months. And, and that's feedback I give people now. It's like, hey, just tighten your abs. You'll be fine. And But in all seriousness, I physically did that so that I would stay mindful of how I was reacting. And then I, I just asked more questions, right? I paused. I tried to seek to understand before trying to make my point about what, because I thought I was right, right? IT people always think they're right. And so I always thought I was right about something. And I just checked myself every time I would, would get ready to, to have that reaction. And it took a long time. That is so interesting because there's so many books right now out on listening and none of them say tighten your stomach muscles. And that's the most practical advice I've heard about how to like force yourself because you really can't talk. I'm trying to like tighten my muscles and talk. You can't talk and tighten those abs at the same time. No, but in the, uh, additionally, in the other weeks, I got better at just seeking to understand before I was understood and just asking more questions. And the other thing that I did is I started asking for feedback from people. The problem that I was having is many people knew me as, oh, he's not going to disagree with this. He's going to, he's not going to agree with this. And they didn't want to do that. Right. Cause I didn't have trust with them. So it just took time to have people give me real, real feedback, not the sandwich feedback that you get that I, all of us have had for, for many years in uh, it, but it made a difference in, and over, I mean, it, we're talking. 15 years, it's made a huge impact on, on my ability. Now I'm really clear and direct. I mean, my team says, I like coming to you for feedback because I know where your intentions are and I know you're going to be clear and unambiguous in the feedback, even if I don't think I'm going to like it. Right. And so that made a difference. That's high praise. Yeah. What, what are some of the things that you do for your direct reports to show them that you care? One of the things that I learned over the course of my career is that the military is actually better at teaching people to show they care than just about any other organization, which, I, which was not my uh, stereotype going into understanding the military. So what, what are some of the, how do you, how do people, why do people know that you care about them when you're giving them feedback? I stay present. One of the things that, uh, and I think I carry this I, for the last probably 15, 15, 20 years, I've carried this is I really want to understand what is happening. And I listen, I'll ask a question and then listen. And sometimes it's that awkward silence where they're expecting me to say something and I'm just waiting until they say something. And I try to make sure that they understand that the reason I'm giving feedback is because I'm we're, our company was focused, one of our core values was to empower people to change their lives. And in order to do that, you have to invest in the people. And so I, I give them time. I'm very clear, unambiguous, and I don't 
try to make myself look like the hero or like I know everything. I ask, just ask a bunch of questions. I think it's questions and letting people know that you care by your actions. And so those are the things that, because I'm not a catch you doing something wrong person. I would rather catch someone doing what they believe they're supposed to do and make sure that they're clear on what they're, they're supposed to do. So I think that, you know, when you point the finger, three fingers are pointing back at you. I look at myself first. I, I unlearned the stuff I learned as a kid, right? I was a really sensitive kid. Uh, my, my parents always said, hey, you don't, you don't have something good to say, don't say anything. Well, I got beat up a lot for that, which is probably why I developed that aggressive personality. Uh, and I've just kind of had to unlearn all of those things and make the people comfortable. I just learned, like, when you point at somebody, you got three, I've never heard that before, but that is really good. Three fingers are pointing back at yourself. I love that. One of the things that I hear both, Cody, in your story about your former manager and in the way you describe your dynamic with your team now is that it goes beyond that one conversation, right? You're talking about trust that is layered over a period of time. You know, you've you've mentioned now a few times the actions sort of tell the story. I had a person who worked for me a couple of years ago where I had to give feedback that was pretty similar to what you're describing, Cody, having received. And this was a person who was very strong in their role, someone I valued a lot, and somebody who drove their peers kind of bananas, right? And a, there was a lot of feedback that when I was like, okay, how do I give this person feedback without it seeming like personality feedback? And is it personality feedback? And one of the things that I really gave this employee as a follow-up to our performance conversation, and I was like, pick three people that you're working with the most closely, and I want you to go sit down with them and say, hey, I want to work on our relationship. What are two or three things I can do that would help you? You know, what, what do I need to do to make it easier for you to work with me? And it was amazing they came back and reported the rich goldmine of feedback they received. And I think they were surprised how much their coworkers went there with them because they came sort of really humbly saying, hey, I got some stuff to work on. And those relationships were transformed. So the trust over time is, is I think, often what really sets the stage to hear the feedback. I agree. I think, it, I think that makes all the difference in the world. Relationships reduce resistance, right? If you can build relationships and that trust, people are more likely to allow you in into that circle where they, they're willing to hear you. Exactly. Well, if you have a feedback story that you would like to share with us, maybe even come on the show, please drop us a note at mystory@realasfeedback.com. We will not disclose any identifying information unless you want to be a guest on the show, and, and we'd love to hear your experiences. So with that, I have a story from one of our listeners for today, and I would love, Kim and Cody, your take. So I'm just going to read what our listener has shared with us. So the story reads, I was 22 and a cashier in a luxury car dealership's parts and service department. The owner of the place sent me home when I arrived one day because I wasn't wearing makeup that day, told me to come back with a shorter skirt and makeup the next day. 
He told me that all women in business were held to a high beauty standard to be successful and taken seriously and that his dealership was no exception. He also said, and this is my favorite part, my natural beauty wasn't enough unless I dressed the part more. So obviously this person should go get a new job, a new boss. This is all like illegal and, and let's just like state that up front. So I wanna tweak it a little bit and say, what happens when you're the employee and you receive feedback like this that is totally not related to your job performance? It's about how you look, how you dress. Like, what do you, what do, you do if you're the employee in this situation? I'm so sorry this happened to this person, first and foremost. I think the first thing you do is to locate the exit nearest you, as you said, Kieran. Now, you may not be able to leave that job. It often, often happens that we are well and truly stuck in a job because for a variety of personal reasons or financial reasons, we can't leave that job. So I want to acknowledge that. But I think that it's also true that very often we feel more stuck than we in fact are. Uh, and so that's why I say locate the exit nearest you. Uh, as you can imagine, given radical candor, I'm going to get to having a direct conversation. But you want to know before you go in to have a conversation about what happened, you want to sort of, in any negotiation, I think it's important to have a clear understanding of what your BATNA is, what your best alternative to a negotiated agreement is. And that's why it's important to know, like, can I get another job? Can I afford not to work for a couple of months while I look for another job? Can I sleep on someone's couch? Like, what, what are my choices? So that's important to know. I think also it's important to start documenting this kind of thing. Even if you have no intention of suing your employer, because it's easy to feel gaslit when this kind of thing happens to you. And I, I mean, certainly in the course of my career, I've had multiple, multiple, multiple weird comments from bosses about my appearance and my clothing. And so it, over time, you know, it's easy to start to, to internalize that and think the problem is me, not them. So start to document, remind yourself, the problem is them, not you. And then I think start to build solidarity with people, like start to talk to other people. And then we can talk about a direct conversation. That's what I think. I don't know, Cody, I'd love to know what you think though. What would you do? It's crazy because this is real stuff. This actually happens still today. So that's the unfortunate part of it. I would say that this person should at least bring this to the attention of, I, I want to say go direct, right? Because I I just believe the go direct and and say, basically, you can't, you can't say this to me, but I would document it. I would go to the person above them in the sense that is this a just that person that manager or is this a company issue right is it a bigger issue than we're looking for because if the culture supports that kind of behavior then get out of there as fast as you can document and get out of there as fast as you can it may just be that individual and unfortunately there are a lot of roles where where this is happening and you just have to address it with the leadership and without addressing it with the leadership, that person's boss, there's the risk, right? There's all the retaliation and all the things that we all know about. I think the person shouldn't just quietly go away. It should be brought up directly. I would say directly with the person 
and then beyond that person and then get out of there, right? If it doesn't look like something, somebody's got to go, right? Yeah. If the behavior doesn't get corrected, someone's got to go. Well, it's tricky because in the story, the person who made the comment was the owner of the dealership. And so that's sort of the nearest exit. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it a little more complicated. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a story that I experienced. I love to hear what you both think. So early in my career, so I was an academic, okay, before I worked in tech. And in my first tech job, I was in my late 20s. And I went to work one day with like a new outfit on and I, you know, I was, I was dressed up for me. And remember I was in like engineering at a tech company and the comment I got, I was actually in products. So I worked with engineers as an R and D, but one of the engineers I worked with said, man, it's hard to take you seriously. You look like you work in marketing, right? Because I was too dressed up and he's like, I got used to thinking of you as a smart person, but today you look like you work in on the business side, you're not one of us anymore. And the thing I learned from that was like, don't look too nice at work because I won't be taken seriously. Make sure I'm, I'm wearing athleisure, not like business attire. And so it was an insidious case where no way he would have said that to a male coworker, wouldn't have commented at all. And this was someone I think who thought of himself as like a teammate and even friend was like, whoa, what's happening? You look like you're in marketing today. And so I'm curious, what did I do in that in that situation? I just never dressed that nice again for work, which is not what I would advise somebody to, you know, to do. I would say, wear what you want. It's your job. It's your life. Like wear what makes you feel good. But what what would you what do you make of that kind of situation? I've seen that, right? Being in the technology space and then and having women engineers and engineers with all kinds of backgrounds of uh, sometimes the person saying it doesn't even know what they're saying. They think they're being funny and they say it. And my advice has been to one, address it directly and say, hey, I don't know if you realize, but what you said made me feel a certain way. Is, is that how you really feel about that? And normally they're going to be like, oh no, I was just joking. I didn't know because they don't know any better, right? Especially early on, you're used to joking around and it's just like, oh, you're just one of the guys I'm joking around with you. It'd be like if I walked in with a suit on in some of my old jobs, it'd be like, what? I think that that might be a case where addressing it directly and then see where it goes from there, from my perspective, as to what the next the next thing is. Yeah, I think that's such a good example, Cody, of sort of uh, what in my next book, Just Work, I call an I statement. So when you notice something that you suspect is biased, you know, I don't think you meant that the way it sounded. And the unfortunate thing is that sometimes when you use that I statement, people will double down and you realize it's not bias, it's actually prejudice or it's bullying. And then you got something worse on your hands, but, but at least you know you know what it is. But I think also, Kieran, like you get to choose in that situation whether you want to say something or not something or not say something because you're the person harmed. And I think when we make that calculus to say something or not say something, it's easy to think about the risks of saying something. We're less likely to think about the risks of remaining silent. And I think the risk of remaining silent is that 
you don't feel comfortable being your fullest self at work and you kind of lose a sense of agency. So I think it's really important to, and also the benefit of speaking up is that you might improve your relationship with this guy. You might, you give him a chance to apologize if you point out. I guess what I actually did was wait a decade and then start a software company for that guy to use, right? Like, (laughs) it's like, I mean, sometimes I wonder, like, where did Textio come from? And then I reflect on the experiences that I've had over my career. And I'm like, man, I wish that guy had had Textio before he opened his mouth. But but I, I love I love the uh, the story. Thanks for listening. And again, if you have a story you would like to share, please drop us a note at my story at realasfeedback.com. Uh, we are about out of time today. Again, Cody Horton's book, The Diversity Recruiting Blueprint, Your Guide to Crafting an Impactful Inclusion Hiring Strategy, currently available on Amazon. Cody, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. All right. Well, until next time, uh, let's keep it real and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks, everybody. Thank you all. Thank you.